in the darkness. Oh, hey. You guys, we made a TV show. How cool is that? Hey, my name is Jared. I'm the innovations pastor here at Crossroads. And when I say that to people, they go, who, what does that mean? Uh, even some of the pastors don't really know what I do here. And so uh, and that's, that's a joke. They know what I do. Okay. Uh, but a big part of my job is figuring out how do we bring Jesus and the gospel into digital spaces outside of the weekend service. Okay. And so as we're thinking through that and we're praying through it and we say, God, how do we meet people where they are? Think of it as we send missionaries to, to Lebanon or to Africa. How do we go into digital spaces and bring the gospel where the people already are? And so we decided, uh, what if we made a show that we could put on the internet that people would like to go watch. And so that's what we did. That's practical living. I get to go and I get to learn these skills from these awesome people. And then we get to hear their stories and hear how their faith impacts what they do every day. And so today is practical living premiere day Sunday. Right? Yeah. This is really exciting. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining us online, whether you're watching this live or on demand. It's great to have you with us. In our lobby today, we have two of the guys, uh, episodes three and four, uh, who are out there. Please go out if you are in-house and enjoy some popcorn. Talk with those guys. Uh, and basically what we're doing is last night we released our very first episode. We premiered it last night. And we're taking upon us the Disney Plus model, which means every week we're going to release a new episode on Saturday night at 6.30. And so uh, next Saturday night, get ready to watch episode two, the fight. And then we have uh, episode three, which is the race, and then episode four, which is the tattoo artist. So uh, there are three ways that you can help us make this show a success. Number one is just, just watch it. It's really easy. All you got to do is go to our YouTube page, search Crossroads ABC, and uh, watch the show. We also have these cool little cards out in our lobby. Maybe you got one when you're walking in, but they have a QR code on them. You can scan it with your phone, and it'll take you right to the Practical Living playlist. Now, you may think that this card is for you, but it's not. Okay? This is uh, actually, we want you to take these cards, and I want you to give this to somebody who you think might enjoy watching this show. Okay? That can be a family member. It can be a coworker. It can be a friend. It can be a neighbor. But help me get this word out about the show. You know, it's like a good movie where you can't, I want you guys to love it so much you can't help but want to share it with people. Uh, and so Pastor Trevor and his team have been trying to cultivate this uh, we call it 4D living, right? Where outreach is not an event, but it's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. And this is an easy tool we want to put in your pocket to be able to share Jesus with somebody who might not yet know Jesus, okay? And the last thing that you can do is I would ask that you would please pray. Pray that as people watch the show, that they would listen to these guys' stories and that Jesus would draw people unto himself and lives would be transformed. That's ultimately the goal of what we want, okay? Can you help me do that? Yes? A little bit more enthusiasm, come on. Act as though my job depends on it, okay? That's a joke, I'm just kidding. But seriously. No, uh, hey, we are uh, in continuing our Luke series. We are in Luke season five. We are calling this series March to the Cross because we are looking at Jesus' last uh, week uh, before he was crucified on the cross. And so if you would like to, you can open up your Bibles or your favorite Bible app to Luke 21. That's where we're going to be at today. And actually, before we get started, I would, I just, I want to pray for us, okay? I believe that God is doing something today. I believe that he is going to speak to us. 
but I think that we need to get our hearts uh, ready to receive this morning. So let's just go ahead and bow our eyes, uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you that we can gather together both digitally across the world and here in-house. And so Father, I just pray that our hearts would be in the right place to receive from you that as I speak, as we look at your word today, that Holy Spirit, you would be moving in and through what I say, and as it lands on ears, God, I pray that lives would be transformed for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, when I first uh, became a senior pastor, Uh, It was not in Colorado. I actually, my wife and I felt called to go to a little town in southeast Iowa, okay? And so my wife and I were both, we both grew up here in Thornton in Colorado, and we were used to Colorado winters. And when we went out there, it was about the same season that it is now. It was fall, and it was absolutely beautiful. Does anyone else here just love the fall? Yes, you can be excited. You guys can make noise all the entire time I'm talking, okay? It really helps me out, and it helps loosen you guys up too, okay? So uh, I just, I love the fall. I love the colors. I love uh, the temperature, especially in Colorado where it's kind of crisp in the morning, right? But then in the afternoon, it warms up, and that's when your kids don't bring their coats home from school, right? We've all experienced that. Where's your coat? Uh, But uh, when we went to Iowa, the cool thing about Iowa is that the the leaves are changing and it's, they call it this season of color, right? We have to drive up to the mountains and we go on these color drives, but in Iowa, the trees are just there. And there was this lake, it was called Lake Geode. It was just about 15 minutes from our house and I took this picture and that just kind of gives you an idea of what fall in Iowa was like. We were excited. We were ready to do this new ministry. But guess what happens after fall? Comes winter, right? And Iowa winter is nothing like a Colorado winter, okay? It stinks. I'm sorry, Iowa people. You still have the Hawkeyes, and apparently the Cyclones play there too. That's an Iowa joke. It doesn't make sense here. I get it. Okay, so uh, we are starting to get into winter. It's Iowa. And did you know that when it snows in Colorado, it melts really, really quickly, right? We have a blizzard on Monday, and by Friday, the, the snow is gone. In Iowa, man, it snows once, and it doesn't leave until July, it felt like, you know? Uh, it is just there. And the other thing that was new to us was getting these warnings on our phones that would say, if you have exposed skin for more than 15 minutes, watch out, you're probably going to get frostbit. Okay, and so we lived in a parsonage across from the church, and I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew I was terrified, and so I would put on a bunch of clothes, and I'm running over, and I'm trying to figure out where my keys is to get, you know, get inside the door because I didn't want to lose a finger, right? That's, that's fair. Uh, and uh, the other thing that we didn't know is here in Colorado, we use natural gas to heat our houses, Right, so you use the gas and then they send you a bill and then you pay your bill. In Iowa, at least in this part of Iowa, they used propane. And so we had this huge propane tank in our backyard and about the end of January, beginning of February, we ran out. We ran out of propane and we didn't know. We were just like, man, our house is no longer making heat. What's going on? So we start to investigate and it turns out that the, the business people who own the propane know that you really need it in winter, and so they upped the prices. It was gonna cost us $2,000 to fill up our propane tank. And so we thought about it and we bought a space heater. 
right? And so if we only had two kids at the time, we would just move that space heater from room to room, wherever we were, and we just kind of waited it out. We were really, really unprepared for the Iowa winter. I want you to think about that story as we jump into Luke chapter 21. And as uh, I just want to paint the picture a little bit for you to, to set the scene of what's going on. Pastor Chris kicked everything off last week, right, where Jesus has already come into Jerusalem and uh, that we call that Palm Sunday, right, when he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And now Jesus is doing what rabbis do. He's hanging out in the Jewish temple. And what I would like you to do is just close your eyes for a minute and just imagine that you are a Jewish person living at the same time as Jesus. It's the middle of the week and you're walking with either your friend or you're walking with some family members and you're going to the temple. And the temple is the place that you go to worship God. Okay, there's several gates to enter into this temple, and you enter through the main gate, and you look around, and there's these boxes all around, and the boxes, you see people putting money into the boxes. It's the, the way that uh, the temple would receive money and to receive the tithe for the church. You see pockets of people around, there's Pharisees, they're teaching, uh, and then uh, you look around, and you're just astonished at the beauty of this building. And you turn and you, and you talk to your, your friend or it, this is your story so you can imagine whoever you want. So if you want to trade who you went to the temple with that day, that's okay. Now's the time to do that, okay? That's a joke. I got one laugh over here. So, uh, but uh, you're there and you just turn to your friend and we actually see this in, in Luke chapter 21, verse 6. He says, I'm sorry, verse it's, not in, it's in verse 5 where he, uh, as you look and you're just marveling at, at what it is and you say, this place is just killer. You hear this rabbi speak this in verse 6. As for these things you will see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon the other. Okay, we heard Pastor Chris talk about that last week, right? In about 70 AD, the temple is actually destroyed. But for those who are listening at this particular moment, I can imagine that there are a few different reactions. Okay, the Pharisees are, are always easily offended, especially when Jesus is speaking. And I'm certain that there is a couple of Pharisees that heard this and, and they're like, blasphemy, how can you say that? This is the house of the Lord. He would never allow such a thing to happen. And I'm sure that there are other people around and, and they heard Jesus say uh, that the, the temple was gonna be destroyed and they're like, man, this dude is crazy. And they just kind of laughed him off. But then here you are with, with whoever you're with and you think, what is this guy talking about? And you, you actually start to lean in and you ask the question. Verse seven, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, you see, at this point, Jesus begins to shift gears. Up to this point, he was just talking specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem. But then he begins to shift into what we would call the end times or the, apox the apocalypse, okay? In Christian words, we use the word eschatology, okay? And uh, ology is a study of something. And that's just a shout out to my high school uh, history teacher uh, to let her know that I was actually listening to at least one thing in our history class, that ology means a study of something, okay? Okay? And eschatology is specific uh, to the part of theology concerned with death 
judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. There are other books in the Bible that, that talk about the end times, okay? There, we read some of it in Daniel and, and throughout the New Testament. And we actually have a whole book called the Book of Revelation where you can read about the things that are to come at the end of the world. And Jesus here in Luke begins to tell us a few of these things. Let's read in verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And we'll continue on. Uh, we're going to jump to verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, I really run the risk here of sounding like a sensationalist, but as I listen to these things that Jesus is saying, I can't help but think of our world that we're living in now. And I recognize that every generation thinks my generation is it. At the, it. This is when Jesus is going to return. But the reality is, is that it seems to me like the things around us seem to be becoming more and more powerful and more and more frequent. Right? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We know that in the last 100 years, we've had two world wars. Wars that uh, have not happened like any other world in all of, in, in, in wars that have happened unlike any other war throughout history. We continue to see unrest in the Middle East as Afghanistan is now pressing on our headlines. We know that these countries have enough nuclear power to destroy the world like a hundred times over. It's getting worse and worse. I see in the news of earthquakes happening in places that they haven't happened before. And if you remember back in 2004, there was that really big earthquake that happened in the middle of the ocean that caused that tsunami to come and crush Asia, destroying buildings, destroying cities, and killing and injuring thousands of people. There's pestilence. Pestilence is just pandemics in the world. Have you heard that word pandemic maybe somewhere recently? Everyone's like, I don't want to hear that word ever again as long as I live. This isn't the first time we've had a pandemic in our world, okay? There's been the Black Plague. There's been the Bubonic Plague. In the early 1900s, there was a pandemic. But I got to say, COVID-19 has completely transformed the landscape of our world, has it not? And I don't know that we are ever actually going to go back to what life was like before COVID hit. If you're anything like me, it can often feel like the walls are closing in around us. Do you guys remember in Star Wars, we're in the, they're in the junk chute and the walls are getting closer and closer and they're trying to do everything that they can to not let them, themselves get crushed? That's what it feels like. I look at the political temperature and I look at all of these things happening and I just start to cry out and I say, God, why is all of this happening? When is it going to end? When are you going to rescue us from this world? 
And you see, that's what Jesus is talking about. He, we read in Luke and we read in the Gospels, Jesus' first coming, right? And the first coming of Jesus is actually when he, he comes and he, be, and he becomes a human through being born from Mary, right? And he lives and he does his ministry and he's crucified and he's resurrected. And all of that is to restore humanity's relationship with God and to deal with sin and death. That was the purpose of the first coming. But then Jesus ascends into heaven and what we are learning now is that Jesus is going to come back a second time. And when he comes back a second time, his purpose for that is to glorify the church and to judge the world. And so we are learning these things that we need to be expecting when this comes. But we need to recognize that Jesus is coming back. I really like how Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You see, as the walls are closing in, as our circumstances feel like they're too much for you to bear, we encourage one another and say, this is not going to last forever. Jesus is coming back. And we're excited for that time and we're encouraged by these words. Jesus says in verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So as we look around and we see all these things snowballing around us, it's not for us to just freak out, but it's to say, hey, be encouraged. Jesus is coming back soon. In verse 29, Jesus tells a parable. A parable is just a, it's Jesus' way of illustrating a divine truth. And so he tells him this parable in verse 29. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you will see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now what you need to understand about the fig tree is that the Israelites really knew all about the fig tree. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of insight. Uh, number one, it was used about 50 times throughout Scripture. I don't know if you've ever made this connection. I actually just made this connection this week that the fig tree is actually the leaves that Adam and Eve used to make clothes in the garden to cover their nakedness. They used fig leaves. And the fig leaf is about the size of your hand. It's smooth on one side and it's hairy on the back side. So I suppose it would make some decent clothing. So if you're looking for some good, cheap material, call up your Israel friends and have them send some fig leaves for your new fall sweater. The other thing that you need to understand about the fig tree is that the fruit actually produces first before the leaf comes out. Also, the fig tree is the last tree of all the trees in Israel to sprout its leaves. And that's the indicator, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, when the fig leaves come out, you know that summer is coming. So too, when you see these things happening in the world, you know that my return is imminent. 
Now, when we were in Iowa, we were not prepared for that first winter. But I can tell you for sure that after we got through all of the other terrible seasons that Iowa has to offer, I'm sorry, Iowa, I really am. I know that you love your state. But when, it, when we started seeing the, the, the leaves change color, we knew winter was coming and we knew it was time to prepare. And so we got on a payment plan for propane so that we knew that we would have enough heat throughout you know, all of winter. We made sure to buy the appropriate clothes so that we made sure that our fingers and our toes didn't fall off throughout the winter. We did what we needed to do to prepare. Now, I really like to play softball. Okay, softball is fun for me. It's, a, it's an athletic activity where I get to go and run around and it's good for my body. And uh, my kids love to come and watch the softball games, not because they really like to watch me play softball, but because there's a playground there that they can go play on. And so, uh, which is fine, you know, softball can be boring when you're nine years old, I suppose. Uh, but my son, who is nine, as we were driving home from our game on Friday, he said to me, Dad, I really want to play on your softball team. And I think, that's awesome. But then I think about those times when we're playing catch together in the front yard and how, you know, I'm still kind of just rainbowing the ball to him because he hasn't yet learned the skill of catching and I don't want to plop him in the face. That's a good dad move, right? Don't plop your kid in the face with a baseball. And so I'm thinking, dude, you got to be prepared. And I said, if you want to play on my team, I would love for you to play on my team. But you need to start putting in the effort so that you can be good enough that when a softball is hit in your direction, I know that you're going to be able to be safe and use your glove appropriately. Do you want to know what my son's response was to me? <laughs> he says, yeah, but dad, by the time I'm able to do that, you're going to be too old to play. <laughs> Shut up, kid. Go to your room. What do you think you're doing? Come on. I mean, but seriously, he has to, you have to be prepared, right? And Jesus is telling us these things right now not to freak us out. He's not saying, quick, guys, go get your materials and build your bomb shelters. We really got to survive this thing. After service today, we're going to take a group trip. We're going to Costco. We're going to buy, buy the store out and get our storehouses all filled up so that we can survive the apocalypse. It's going to be glorious. No. Jesus isn't trying to freak us out. He's saying, get prepared. Be prepared for my return. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 36 says, But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares in this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, Stay awake, pay attention. Keep your focus on Jesus and not on other things because our hope has to be in Jesus. Our hope cannot be that our government is going to magically save us. Okay? They don't have your best interest at heart all the time. Can we maybe agree on that? Yeah, I got an amen. Our hope can't even be in ourselves. Our hope can't be in our family because, guys, we're all human beings and we're all going to fall short and we're all going to mess up. But Jesus is the only place that we know 
He will always fulfill his promises. There's a really good pastor speaker, and his name is Francis Chan, and he, he gives us this really cool analogy using a rope, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that this rope represents eternity, okay? And it, and it runs off the stage, and it never, ever stops, okay? Makes sense? This is the timeline of you. Now, we can have two kinds of perspectives in our life. We can have an eternal perspective where we're thinking big picture, or we can have a temporary, uh, temporary perspective where we're thinking about just this little section of time. And this little section of time represents your life. In the big scheme of things, your life here on this earth is really not that long. Right, But we get so fixated on, on what we're going to do in this that we completely forget about the rest of it. Right, And we think, man, if I save enough money here, then when I get here, I can retire and I can go to Bora Bora. That's just my dream. I don't know if that's your dream, but that's my dream, okay? But we get so fixated on, on this stuff. And Jesus specifically says, don't let your hearts get weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Don't focus so much on this that you forget about what really matters. Church, I want to talk to you specifically this morning. If you have put your faith in Jesus, I want you to hear what I have to say. Number one, are you prepared? If Jesus were to come tomorrow, are you ready? Are you more fixed on worldly things? Don't get distracted. Keep your eyes and your focus on Jesus. The second thing I want to ask you to do is don't be in a rush. You see, a lot of times when we see all of this stuff happening, we say, God, this is it. Come on, bring it. We're ready. Come take us. We're ready to go. This world is terrible. I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of this place. Don't be in such a rush that you forget about your brother or sister who doesn't yet know about who Jesus is. In 2 Peter verse 3, 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God isn't saying, man, I can't wait to send Jesus back and, and redeem the church because I know that there are some out there that, man, I really don't like that guy and I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to send that guy to hell. That's not, what God, that's not how God operates. He wants everybody to know repentance. He wants everyone to know Jesus. And so he is patient in sending his son to return in glory because he wants all people to know him. That's why Jesus came in the first place. And what you need to understand, church, is the reason that you are here is because you have a job to do. That God has placed you here to do something in order to bring his kingdom into this place. In Matthew 28, we read about the Great Commission. 
right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower you to go and continue the ministry of Jesus. And if you are here, that means God has something important for you to do. Otherwise, when we accepted Jesus, we would just disappear and go and be in heaven with him. That's not the way it works. He needs you to take your job, your responsibility seriously. Don't be be distracted. Don't be in a rush and fulfill the Great Commission. How do we do that? By surrendering our very will and our abilities to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. Jesus, who was in fact God, who became a human, had the power to do whatever he wanted, and yet he surrendered his very will to his Father in heaven. Don't you think that if Jesus did that, that we, his followers, should do the same thing? And we actually see this played out in the garden. Jesus is having this wrestling match with his father, right? He knows that he's about to be persecuted. He knows that he is about to be put to death. And he's on his knees and he is praying to his father, please, begging his father, please, let there be another way. Let us bring salvation to humanity another way. And he's sweating blood drops because he is so anxious and stressed. And at the end of it all, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I surrender and I obey. Church, we must surrender and obey. Now, I want to address someone who might be on the fence or who has not yet put their faith in Jesus. If you're listening to this, whether you're in the room or if you're watching online, I want you to know that you cannot wait. Maybe you want to gamble and you say, I don't think that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. Actually, uh, I don't know that Jesus is going to come back for a really long time. I'm just going to live it up for a while and I'll just figure out that Jesus thing later down the road. Don't wait because even if Jesus doesn't come back tomorrow, we do not have a guarantee that tomorrow will be there for us. I have a 17-year-old niece, and she was at her job about a month and a half ago. She was on a later shift. She got off about 9.30 at night. Her boyfriend came and picked her up and was driving her home down I-76. They were heading east. And, I mean, out that way, the speed limit's about 75 miles an hour, okay? And so they weren't doing anything wrong. They were simply driving home. A drunk driver gets on the highway the wrong direction and smacks into them head on. My brother-in-law comes running over to my house and he says, Elian has been on an accident, Jared. I need you to drive me. And so we're driving to the accident and I can see all the emergency vehicles and I'm thinking, man, what's going on up there? Certainly that's not the accident. And we look here and this is actually, I'm sorry it's stretched out. It's a not the right type of picture, but this is them. Eliana actually had gotten pinned into her seat and couldn't get out. 
and we are so thankful for the grace of God because this could have ended very, very differently. Thankfully, Eliana, they got her out. They got her to the hospital. She had to have surgery on her leg, and she's now going through physical therapy so that she can learn to walk again. But she's alive. By the grace of God, she's alive. Yeah, you can clap for that. But the point that I want to make here is that she wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't like she was being crazy or, you know, being a wild teenager. She simply had a job and was driving home and something bad happened. Guys, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I ask you, I beg with you, I plead with you to surrender your lives to Jesus. Because that's the only place that you're going to have hope for the eternal perspective. What does that mean to surrender your, surrender your life to Jesus? It means that you accept him as Lord of your life and you too surrender to him and you say, God, everything that I have is no longer mine. It is now yours. I surrender everything to you. If you wanna know what that's like, what you need to do, we don't want you to go through that alone and we've made it really easy to enter into that process. We have a text line. All you have to do is text Jesus to 720-513-1933 and there's gonna be someone on the other line there that can help walk you through what it means to put your faith in him. Please don't hesitate. If you're in the room today, we have this prayer section over here. We have people who will come during uh, our time of singing and worship. And if you wanna talk to somebody, there's gonna be people over there who you can talk to and who can pray with you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've been distracted by the world and you say, man, I just want to refocus my life to be fixed on Jesus and not the things of this world. If that's you, take advantage. Go over and say, please pray with me that I would get the right focus. Today's the day. Now's the time. And so we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. That it is through him that we even have this opportunity to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. And at the end of this week on the march to the cross, they are celebrating Passover together, Jesus and his disciples. If you haven't gotten one of those cups in the back of the room, they're back there. If you are at home, please just grab some elements. It's less about what we're eating and what we're drinking and more about the heart that we are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so as they're gathered together and they're eating, Jesus grabs the bread and he breaks it and he says to the disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we are gathered today, we remember that Jesus broke his flesh that he surrendered for us that we could know life and have it to the full. Let's remember together. Likewise, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It is poured out for you. I give it to you freely that you can know life. And so we graciously thank our Jesus for his faithfulness and we drink and we remember 
his goodness to us. So thankful, Jesus, that you yourself surrendered your will to God, your Father. And not only did you surrender your will, but you actively responded in that obedience. And so Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room, everybody who is listening over the digital waves, that Father, as they hear these words, we would respond to that surrender and obedience. That we would know you and that we would follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.